Good morning. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you and a joy to bring and sit underneath the Word of Christ along with you as well. If you would, please turn into your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. It's where we'll be, 16 through 20, 20 today. And here's the question I want to ask you as we set on our journey this morning. Who do you follow? Who is it that you follow? And no, I'm not talking about who, whose Instagram account you are following or who's on your Facebook or blog feed. I'm talking about who you follow ultimately. That is, who has your allegiance? Who determines your decisions? How you spend your time, your money, your energy, and resources? Who do you follow? We live in a day where there's a multitude of voices that are clamoring for our attention and for our allegiance. There are voices everywhere. What voice are you listening to for the direction of your life? There's a lot of confusion out there about what it means to follow Jesus. In our text today, we're seeing Jesus call the first disciples, and he says to them, follow me. Follow me. And there's a lot of confusion. Does, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus, and is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it good to follow Jesus? Right? Some of those questions we might have, we might doubt the truthfulness of Jesus, and then, of course, whether we should follow him or not. And this morning, I believe this text is speaking into this, this sort of religious pluralism that we live in. There's a lot of, a lot of options for idols, different things to worship, and the Bible through this text is speaking in through the voice of Jesus. He's calling these disciples to follow me, he's saying, and the same thing is being presented to us. Jesus also is speaking to every one of, this, of us this morning, asking us, commanding us to follow him. As we look at this text this morning, the hope is that we will see that Jesus is indeed worthy for us to follow, that he is in fact the best person that we can follow we're going to see five points from our text about what it means to follow Jesus, hopefully to this, this main goal and aim that we would follow Jesus willingly and gladly. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask God that you would speak, break through all the other voices and distractions that would be in our brains right now. Break through the coldness of our hearts, the apathy of our hearts, the unbelief of our hearts. Speak into that. Break through all that, God, and reveal Your Son to us, causing our hearts to jump with excitement and with worship. Would you do that now for the glory of your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict and comfort us. In your name we pray. Amen. Number one, 
following Jesus means responding to the call of Jesus. Verse 16 and 17. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Following Jesus means responding to his call. In typical Jewish culture, what you would do if you wanted to follow a rabbi is you would basically scan the horizon of all the different rabbis and teachers that were out there, and then you would go choose. And you would basically apply. You would submit your application. I want to apply to follow this rabbi. And so it's very much a a decision that you're making. And Jesus flips that completely on its head. Jesus is not waiting for the disciples to come to him. Jesus goes to them and says, I choose you. Follow me. He is choosing them. He's entering into this formal relationship. I think the big point for us to realize here is that God is the one who initiates a relationship with us. It starts there. It begins and ends with Jesus with God's saving activity in our lives. God is the one that initiates. David Platt sums this up well. Like he says, Christianity does not begin with our pursuit of Christ, but with Christ's pursuit of us. Christianity does not start with an invitation that we offer to Jesus, but with an invitation Jesus offers to us. We, in our sin, are blind, broken, hostile to God, not looking for Jesus. And if he showed up, we would not want him. That's where Jesus finds us. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Long before we had any awareness of God, any desire for God, hostile to him, Jesus dies for us in initiating relationship, in saving activity. Jesus is calling these disciples and he's calling us today. If you hear his voice today calling you into his love, into relationship with him, do not harden your heart. He calls you today by name. And he says, follow me. Will you follow him? How do these disciples respond? We see that next. Point number two, following Jesus means dying to the world. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. One of the key words here in this in these couple of scriptures, is the word immediately. It's, it's, of course, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's one of Mark's favorite words. But it's here emphatically talking about this immediate nature, this immediate response that the disciples have when they hear that call. And certainly, it emphasizes the allegiance of Jesus. When he calls us, we come. He's powerful enough to do that. That's what he does. But they also play an active role here. They're making a decision to follow Christ. 
at that point, and it is immediate. There are four disciples here that are mentioned. The first two leave their nets. The second two leave their father. And what does this mean for us? It means that they are rejecting the world in light of Christ. The call to follow Jesus doesn't say keep everything and be everything that you already are and doing and just add Jesus on top of that. No, there is a dying that has to happen. There's a letting go that has to happen. There is a rejection of something that has to happen. And, and, and the Bible's terms for that is, calls it the world. Generally speaking, the world. The world is created good. I'm not talking about the goodness of creation, but the world, the ways of the world, the ways of Satan, and everything demonic. Any sort of worship that would not be towards God is the ways of the world. We are to re- reject that. What we see here that it includes for them material wealth. These were not just guys that were barely making it. This would, this would have been a lucrative fishing business that they were in. They were kicking tail. Lots of money, lots of flourishing in this job in the Sea of Galilee at this time. Zebedee, he had some cash. He had enough cash that he had hired servants that were working with them. This was a thriving business. Jesus says, follow me. And they say, yes, sir. I'll give it all up for you. It also includes leaving their careers, or maybe you could say leaving time, abandoning their independence and their own sovereignty over their time. Because following Jesus, in this day and time, it it literally meant you were going to walk around with Jesus. You were literally abandoning your career. You can't, there's no, there's no bivocationalness here. There's no online courses that you can take on the weekends. You are committing to a full time following this man, Jesus. You're going to walk around with him all the time. That's what they were doing. They were giving up their career. They also were giving up close relationships. They rejected their closest of relationships, you could say, with their dad. This was unbelievable in this culture. It was a huge thing, massive implications to say, Dad, I know you're a fisherman and I've been working with you on your boat, but I'm out of here. This guy Jesus is calling me. That was significant, massive. And Luke 14, Jesus in Luke 14 states this in striking terms. 1425, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Like, what? If I don't hate my dad and my mom, the people that are absolutely closest to me, if, if I don't hate them, I can't be your disciple? Like, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? This is weird. The point is not that today, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to quit our jobs and never speak to our parents again. That's not the point that Mark and Jesus is making. Tim Keller gives us a little insight into this. He says, Jesus is not calling us to hate actively. He's calling us to hate comparatively. 
He says, I want you to follow me so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in your life look like like hate by comparison. If you say, I'll obey you, Jesus, if my career thrives, if my health is good, if my family is good, then the thing that's on the other side of that is your real master, your real goal. But Jesus will not be a means to an end. He will not be used. If he calls you to follow him, he must be the goal. The Apostle Paul picks up similar language in Galatians chapter 6, 14. This life of crucifying the self, saying no to our flesh, worshiping Jesus. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's saying, in Christ, we are dead to the world, dead to the things of this world. Don't live for them anymore. We live for Jesus. And so what we see next, this is not all about saying no to sin and to the world. It's about saying yes to something, praise God. The third thing we see here is following Jesus means enjoying the life of Christ. These disciples were, yes, saying They were saying no to the world, but yes, they were saying yes to Jesus. It's not burdensome for them. They're not doing this begrudgingly. They're they're, they're not sitting there hesitating. They're not scared. They're like pumped. We might read immediately and say, oh, yeah, look at all the sacrifice that they're doing. And, and, And honestly, that's a way I read it a lot. But that's not, that's only half of it. That's not the way that it has to be read. I think probably it's better captured immediately because they were so pumped or because they were so pumped, they immediately dropped what they were doing. Because there's the Christ. There's the Messiah. There's the most precious one in the universe. I'm going after him. Forget this stuff. That's what's happening when we see Jesus, I'm reminded of the parable, the hidden treasure. You remember that story, like right? the guy finds hidden treasure in this field. And what does he do? He runs back to his field and he sells everything he has in order to get enough money so that he can go purchase that field in order to get the treasure. And that's what happens when we see Jesus. So infinitely, so, so valuable, so beautiful. I will sell everything I have to get him. And that's the way we must come to Jesus. There's no other way. We can't can't have it both ways. He demands all or nothing. All allegiance or no allegiance. Jesus is valuable and we are We can come enjoy John John 10, verse 10. I came, Jesus speaking, that they might have life and have life abundantly. Jesus is not trying to kill your joy this morning. He's trying to increase it. He's trying to give it eternal significance and power. That's what he's doing. The devil doesn't give joy. He steals, he lies, he robs, kills. Jesus is a joy bringer. He brings joy. 
Mark 8 combines this saying, no one's saying yes together. 834, if anyone would come after me, Jesus talking again, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's the negative. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You hear what he's saying? You've got to give up something in order to gain something of more valuable. Yes, there is a cross involved. There's a crucifixion involved. That's the dying piece. But yes, there is a resurrection. That's the living piece. There's an empty tomb. That's our joy to enter into by faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Whoever will lose his life for Jesus negatively will save his life positively. Following Jesus means we are entering into the life of Christ. His life becomes our life. His life is abundant and eternal. So may we jump at the invitation of Jesus. And may no idol get in the way when we rightly estimate what is more valuable. Fourthly, following Jesus means following Jesus with others. Jesus calls us individually by name. Yes, he does that. It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit works the word of God into our hearts by name, calling us out. That's beautiful. But he's calling us as individuals to be a part of a people. Not just calling you and me. He's calling us to follow him. Faith is an individual matter. We must be saved by individual faith in Christ, his person and and work. But that faith then binds us to other Christians. It's a completely unbiblical picture to imagine solo Christians. Completely unbiblical. Not even close. You will, you will not get there. And the individualism of America and, the, and our own pride and our independence and pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, that, uh, there might be some good things in there. I'm not saying to reject it wholeheartedly, but that sentiment has wrecked havoc on our community, on our sense of community, on our corporate identity. The majority of the U's, Y-O-U, in the New Testament are corporate in nature. They are not talking to you singular. They are talking to you plural. The majority of them. It's like the you all, right? Y'all. This is the heart of God. A people following and worshiping Jesus together. Together. Right? It's from just a, a broad biblical survey. Adam and Eve, God blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth a people. Sin gets in the way. He restarts with Noah after the flood. Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He continues. Sin still gets in the way. I'm doing it another way. Abraham, choosing you, look up at the stars, brother. Can you number those stars? Those are your descendants. You're going to be blessed. There's a seed coming from you that is going to be the blessed one who's going to bless you. And you're going to be a holy tribe, a people, a nation that glorifies God. This is a a people 
Jesus comes on, comes on the scene. He's calling individuals, but he's calling, he calls four people in our story today. He's going to call many other people in this gospel. He's calling a people. Revelation 5.9, by his blood, he ransomed a people from every tribe and tongue. When he's on the cross, when blood is dripping out from his body and when blood is being spilled, he's not thinking about an individual. He's thinking about a people. One, one people ransomed from every tribe and tongue across this globe. That's what he died for. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's talking about the church, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God. That is our identity. And because of that identity, we have a corporate responsibility. David Platt lists this out well. He makes the point clear. In the New Testament, it envisions followers of Jesus living alongside one another for the sake of one another. The Bible portrays the church as a community of Christians who care for one another, love one another, host one another, receive one another, honor one another, serve one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, motivate one another, build up one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess sin to one another, esteem one another, edify one another, teach one another, show kindness to one another, give to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, hurt with one another, and restore one another. And he's just quoting Scripture. That's what those Scripture references are doing, commanding us to do as a people. As a people. Maybe today your next step in following Jesus is to join a people, to join a local church, to stop being a solo Christian. That is not the fullness of what Jesus calls you to be and to be a part of. If you would like to join Harvest Church, make that decision. We would love to talk to you about what it means and the joy of joining a local church. We love that. Maybe you're a member, though, today, and your next step is to stop living in functional isolation from community. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're a part of this church you know, on, on, the, on the list, the, the list of names, but functionally you're living in isolation. And your step today is to break out of that. Recommit yourself to each other, brothers and sisters in our faith family. Even in something like COVID that obviously puts all kinds of restraints in that, it's okay. Even in the sense of COVID, under COVID, we fight through this stuff. Because God has called us to corporate this corporate identity. So if we find ourselves on the couch today in terms of community, let us get up and let us serve and restore and love on our brothers and sisters. Lastly here, following Jesus means sharing Jesus with the world. Jesus clearly has a purpose of calling these disciples, and it's that they will become fishers of men. He graciously meets them where, right where they are in their very ordinary activity and occupation, their task as fishermen, and he gives them. It's like he impregnates or imparts supernatural, eternal purpose into that. He says, I no longer be fishers of fish, be fishers of men. He's saying, join my mission. 
Join my mission. Do what you're doing, but do it for me. And Jesus meets us today right where we are. He meets us right where we are in our circumstances, our makeup, our abilities, and he gives us this same supernatural, eternal purpose to fish for men, to exalt Jesus among the nations. This is the call of every Christian joining Jesus on this mission. This is our call, Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, whole church, everybody, go. You are the sent ones. You are the sent ones in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. Go. We are not all called to be vocational evangelists, but we are all called to be evangelistic. We are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. There must be an impulse, a desire, an orientation to the world that we would see and desire others to come to know Jesus. We care about his fame. We want his fame to spread. We want the nations to be glad. If that's not an impulse in your heart, like we need to repent. Are we even following Jesus? He puts that in desire because we are in our hearts because we are born of his spirit and that's what his, his spirit desires. Are you oriented this way towards the world, towards those that don't know Jesus? Or have you fallen into sort of consumeristic, just me and Jesus? I'm going to consume Jesus on my own terms. It doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. That's not a biblical picture of following Jesus. The Bible's not saying that it's going to be easy. It's, in fact, probably going to be the hardest thing that you will ever do. The world is set against you. The devil is set against you. But following Jesus is the most enjoyable thing and the best thing that you can do for this life and for eternity. He is infinitely worth it, and he's eternally worth it. So I ask you again as we close, who are you following today? Who is your master? Who has your allegiance? Is it Jesus or is it another voice? Maybe even your own voice or the voice of our enemy. May you hear Jesus today calling you by his grace into his eternal love. He's calling you. May, may you respond. May we all respond to his call today on our lives. May we follow him as Lord and Savior. May his call today and for the rest of our lives and eternity, be so much louder, so much more beautiful, so much more precious than any other voice that we could possibly hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. He is worthy of our worship, and he's worthy to follow. Following him is life. God, we ask for grace today that we as individuals, as families, and as our church, we may follow you. We may be faithful, as R.C. Sproul said, students and servants to Jesus. 
May we enjoy you, Lord Jesus Christ, and share you with the world that all may come to know and worship you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.